that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird reacting to what Ryan Day and company had to say on Tuesday as the Buckeyes get ready for Maryland homecoming game noon Saturday. I will say, guys, I can feel it happening a little bit. I wrote about it a little bit after the game Saturday. They're coming up on a bye, and then it's going to be Indiana, and then Penn State's going to make it real. But this, Nathan, feels a little bit like a boring, good Ohio State week. That With the way that Maryland kind of got shellacked by Iowa, with the way Ohio State handled its business against Rutgers, we have to be careful because we are not a daily news podcast where we just react to things because we'll bore you to death. That's not how we do it. There's been a lot to talk about usually with Ryan Day on Tuesdays because it's like, oh, well, what are you going to do about this? What's going to happen with this? It felt less so today, I think, than at any point this year. But we are going to talk about Urban Meyer a little bit at the end of this podcast because it's reached the point where we need to talk about it at least some. At least I need to say something about it as someone who covered Urban for as long as I did. Um, I'm writing about it. I've been doodling with around with stuff. I actually wrote a column on Monday and then was talking with the editor about it. And we held it and reworked some things and then more came out Tuesday. So I'll give some Urban thoughts at the end. We're not going to do a whole podcast about it, but we do need to address it. But Nathan, do, do you agree with the general vibe of like, you know, we got a, on this Tuesday with Ryan Day, you know, got all into a lot of like just feature story questions about, oh, we're getting this player this week. Let's write feature stories about him. Not as much like what's happening with your football team, which is soothing for the program and the fans. But it means we have to work a little bit harder to be interesting. Yeah, if you all have been breathlessly waiting for the entirety of the Mitch Rossi life story just be online sometime in the next 24 hours. Cause you're going to get it from like every angle of the Ohio state beat. A lot of questions about that. There was one. So think about these first four weeks and how much uh, turmoil might not be the right word. It was on some weeks, but how much consternation, how much just curiosity there was about every little morsel of, for instance, the quarterback situation last it was recently last week he's still getting questions about Quinn Ewers what's the deal between how much can common cord still play blah 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 there was one question asked today about the quarterbacks and that was by me asking Mitch Rossi just what his impressions were of CJ Stroud after that week off and that was it so it just it really did feel like a, a very like abrupt like the record scratch almost on like all of this concern that there was about like minutiae where now it became, it did become more, it was just a more relaxed field today. But I also think some of that is, some of that is answers were, our answers are coming. Like we don't really have to ask Ryan Day for answers as much anymore because we are starting to see some things with our own eyes. Today felt very much like a JV version of what the entire 2019 season was. Hmm because like 40 point win to 40 point win to 40 point win. Hey, you guys are good. Cool. What are we going to write about? Yeah. Because I think we even did it in a video after the Nebraska game where Doug was just like, this is going to get boring really quickly. And we're going to be looking for ways to keep you guys interesting. Now, obviously this isn't to that extent because there are still questions that need to be answered, but they're more just, they're questions that can't be answered till we get to that point in the season. So in the meantime, it's just kind of like, it's like being on a long car ride. You're just in the middle of it. And just you're just cruising along on cruise control, waiting to get to your next destination. When you think about what happened in the first four weeks, 
Ryan Day absorbed his first regular season loss as Ohio State's head coach. Their quarterback had to rest for a whole game because his shoulder was so sore and it opened the door for like, well, okay, what's the next quarterback going to do? And their defense was so bad. They demoted a coordinator. That is like, those are three gigantic things in the first month. So this was a break a little bit. I did ask Ryan day about this today and maybe we've covered this ground, but I wanted to get him now that he's had time to reflect on it. We've made a lot of, from the fact of how much Ryan Day in the offseason talked about that loss that can ruin your your season, right? That he was kind of dreading whenever that came and that it's life in college football. I do think, Nathan, we are at the point where we've gotten a decent read at this point on how Ryan Day handles a loss. And I wanted to hear him talk about it, you know, whatever it is, three weeks removed from it now. And I think on one hand, he demoted somebody. He demoted a friend, took a guy's job away, which is a big deal. And there are some players who used to play who aren't playing right now. On the other hand, he said, you've got to be steady after a loss. And Nathan, I do think they have been steady in the other ways, right? That I, they've, I thought he struck a pretty good mix of making tangible changes that needed to be made without freaking out and without overdoing it. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I mean, they beat Tulsa, Akron, and Rutgers, and they didn't even look that great against Tulsa. Maybe, maybe we don't know yet, Nathan. But I did think we learned a little bit about how Ryan Day handles something like this in the last three weeks, and I thought he came through it pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it helps also when you get Trevion Henderson doing what Trevion Henderson has started to do, and you get some of the other performances you're starting to get too. So I think that's where the steadiness comes into play. It's at some point you are, I think they were confident in the talent that was on the roster. It's the thing that he's brought up a couple times now was that we're going to be really good soon. We as in Ohio State are going to be really good soon. It's just a matter of how soon we get there. And I think that's where the steadiness came in was just his conviction that that lies out there on the horizon and that you have to kind of, if you throw the plan out, are you potentially throwing off the trajectory that you're on? I think it also helps that the rest of the country isn't good either. So, because I mean, part of the one loss can ruin your season is that's been his experience at Ohio State when he was a coordinator in 17, 18, one loss did ruin their season. And then in his two first years as a head coach, that one loss, well, that means they didn't win a national title. So this year you lost early in your if your experience is, well, your season's over, you're probably not going to the playoff. But if the rest of the country seems to be falling apart, too, unless your name is, you know, Alabama or Georgia, you can probably breathe a little bit easier. So it puts yourself in a situation where he made decisions that weren't emotional. Everything that he did, even if it was as crazy as the last four weeks have been, they've all been necessary decisions, whether it was playing more young guys or making Matt Barnes is the primary play caller now and making it more of a he's in charge of the pat. He's like a passing game coordinator while Larry Johnson's a run game coordinator and Kerry Combs just handles his defensive backs. All of that was necessary. There's nothing that he did where even in the moment you're like, man, I can't believe he did that. Now that we're looking back on it, it's like. Yeah, that, that, that move made sense. Nothing has been done that's dramatically crazy yet. Do we think that most, now that we have some distance on this, and now that the defense is playing better, 
whatever that means, it's definitely playing better. Do we think most power five head coaches would have demoted Kerry Combs in the, in this exact same situation, your third year head coach. It's a coordinator that you hired based on a previous friendship and relationship. He'd had one year. He'd never done it before. And you hired him to do it. He had had one year to do it. And, but it was in a pandemic. Wasn't great, but it was in a pandemic. And then you lose in week two and he loses play calling duties. Do we think Nathan, that was a, well, you know what? Something had to be done. And that's what most guys would have done. Or do we think it was, I don't want to say unusual, but not every head coach would have done what Ryan Day did. I think it's safe to say that not every head coach would have, would have done that. Not every head coach plays on a week to week basis with the stakes that Ryan day has to as well. So that factors into it that you, you have to make your decisions based on sort of a different level of expectations. All right. That's let's, but I don't but, care what Washington state does. Let's say well, every, you are asking me. You're asking no, that, me so I'll change it. So I'll change it. Nick Saban is the only coach that I can say 100% that would do something like this. Cause he's, I'm pretty sure he let's, did it. Let's say a top 20, let's say a top 15 team, Nathan, a team with playoff aspirations. I'm changing the question because okay. I realized my question was boring. Because but I don't care what Washington State does. Okay. But I still think there – I think it's still somewhat – it would be somewhat uncommon. I thought it was more likely that there was going to be a half measure. You know what I mean? Like they would move Kerry Combs to the box, but he would continue being the play caller, that sort of thing. Like there would be some I, – I, going into that week, I was expecting there to be some sort of a half measure on what they decided to do there. I didn't expect him to go all the way to just sort of flipping the, the staff on its head a little bit. So – Yes, I think it. I think it is uncommon that he did that. But it also was. It wasn't just week two. It does go back to what he was seeing from the defense last season as well. Yeah. So you think only Saban would do it? We don't think. Would Urban have done it? No. You would know that better than us. I mean, we didn't I, have. I mean, he would have done it in. I mean, he kind of did it with Warner, but he didn't really take it play calling duties away. So we didn't really demote him. He just moved him. And then in 2018, when that was a mess, he didn't move. He didn't demote Gretchiano. He's had opportunities to do these things and he just didn't do it. They moved Beck and Warner around in 15. And then it was like, well, then Beck was kind of calling plays at some point instead of Warner and it was shared, but who was what? And, um, but then he brought them both back in 16 after they were a mess in 15. Mm-hmm. And gave them two years he, he always urban always asked for two years from assistance and then kind of gave two years to assistance so i don't know if he would have done it or not i think especially when it's like a personal relationship that it's not just oh, i just hired the best coordinator i could it turns out that like that guy fooled me right that i went by resume and my and a recommendation and it turns out he's not that good it's like you knew carrie combs ryan day Mm-hmm. You worked with him every day, not worked with him, but worked, you know, across the hall from him when Kerry Combs was on the defensive staff and Ryan Day was on the offensive staff. So I think maybe Urban wouldn't have done it. And I do think I don't want to say that it's a turning point, but it's like a, it's like a they don't have toll booths. Like, all right. So here's the thing. So. I I go to Pennsylvania because my mom lives there. And the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you, you can't, like, they don't have the toll takers anymore. They still have the toll booths, but there's no, there's no more people. They used to have, like, the easy pass thing, but you could do easy pass where you just drive through, or you could still pay your toll. So now you have to do easy pass, and if you don't have easy pass, they take a picture of your license plate, and then they just send you the bill based off your license plate. 
but then the bill for your license plate is twice as much as if you have easy pass. So it forces you to sign up for easy pass. So I had to sign up for easy pass, but then like my easy pass isn't working and I'm still getting bills from the Pennsylvania turnpike for taking a picture of my license plate. And it, I'm like, but I have the easy pass and it's the freaking robots. And can I just hand somebody a $20 bill? And the, and the thing again, it's like every, my, my daughter's high school football games. Now I know it was a problem at Ohio state, all those high school tickets are on your phone. There's no paper ticket. And this scanner doesn't work. And you're standing there. Like, what? we're like, we're that desperate. We just can't. There's no, it's, we're just all the way there. There's no option. I get having to scan thing, but there's no, I can't hand my money to a person. I have to have a, sca- a easy pass that doesn't work and a photo of my license plate. There's no option. That's my life now. I have to do the robot way. Did I There's fall no asleep option? in the middle of, of and wake up in the middle of this rant, or is this There's tying no, back to why? Why are there no options? What about if I still want to hand somebody money? Why isn't that an option anymore? Why isn't it one lane of the eight? Because it doesn't work. I always find it. I always find it very fascinating how Doug ends up in these rants because typically I feel like the the initial purpose of it is it ties back into whatever his point is, but then he gets so frustrated by whatever he's ranting about that he completely forgets what we're talking about. And I have too forgotten what we're talking about. So um, yeah, I did. I don't know, man. Pennsylvania turnpike. But you guys know what I'm saying. I I, I get people know I hate robots. I get automation, but the immediate automation where they do away with the old way completely. And then the new way doesn't work. Drives me crazy. Isn't that okay to be Ooh. driven crazy by that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, 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 we can tie it back in now. I see it now. I see the vision. Go ahead, Nathan. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I have the same rant, but it is about the uh, sensors on the faucets and bathrooms. Yes. They never work. Like, it's like one out of 10. You run your hands under it and the water actually starts. Anyway, I think Stephen actually had something to say about football, though. Maybe we should go back to him. Um. I did it that you brought up the sensors, which brings up a whole nother point while I was in the airport waiting on my plane. First of all, I hate EWR so much. I hate it. What's EWR? I hate that airport with a passion. It's the Newark airport. The Newark airport. I hate it so much. Why does every single gate need its own TSA? I don't, I hate it so much. But back to football. I I know, but it's, it's just, it makes things that much tougher. And I missed my flight. I was supposed to, I think Nathan and I were on the same flight. I missed it. They ended up putting me on um, a flight at uh, 1250, but then it got delayed for an hour. So I didn't get home till like four o'clock. I'm sorry. Back to football. Anyway, the point is, the question was, what do we think Urban Meyer would have made a decision like this? I say no, because there have been examples where he could have done something exactly like this and he didn't. In 2015, he kept those guys around for another year. At best, Kerry Combs is going to be back next year as a def- as a defensive backs coach. He is not going to be back calling plays next year. He doesn't call plays now. Of course, he's not going to be back. Right. You think they're going to give him play calling? No. I mean, that, I mean, of course. To the point, yeah, to the point yeah. that the, the best case scenario is he's back as a defensive backs coach. Do you think he's back next year? Uh, uh, that, ooh. I mean, it's – You're talking about a million-dollar pay cut? Or not a million dollar, but a half. Well, but listen, they might not give him the pay cut. They might let him keep most of his salary and give Barnes a raise because they've kind of done that before, too. Which is why I am maybe 55, 60 percent. Yes. Right now. 
Um, I mean, if they're not going to cut his salary and he can come back and make $1.5 million to be the secondary coach, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Because you were demoted. Would you yeah. come back? I got to see. I think the tell will be how this 2022 and 2023 recruiting goes over the next couple of months here. Why would that be the tell, though? You think he, but you think Kerry Combs, who was in the NFL, would just would come back, came back to college to be a coordinator. Because he had this, he the job he has now, he's had before at Ohio State, and he had it in the NFL. So now he's back to the thing he was doing in 2012, and you think he would just stay there? He would just keep that? I mean, look, I mean, he's not going to get a coordinator job in the NFL. And, I mean, the only place he'll get a coordinator job at this point is probably like a group of five school where he'll probably make the same amount of money that he'd probably just make being the Is it about money? Chair. Is it if about not, money? He wouldn't if make the same money either. But right, is it so, about money? Why do you think you know it's Kerry about Combs money? better than I do. I don't. I, but I it's don't just you just observe somebody who came back to for a promotion and then got demoted from the promotion. Why would you stay at that place? Yeah, I, I, I guess it would. My my question is, it, it kind of relates to what Stephen's saying, though. It's it does it depend on the opportunity that he would leave for. You could find opportunities. I wonder if he will go hard for any head coaching job. I, I, cause it, it coordinators, I think you're at the point where big time coordinators don't leave for Mac jobs, but he's not a coordinator anymore. And so I do think he would have some college football head coaching aspirations. He was a very, 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 very successful, very good high school head coach. And if I were, who did Ohio just say, to, if I were Akron, who's not going to bring Tom Arth back, Right. Next year, I don't know. I think that exactly, be back. Not exactly who I was thinking of. He is the worst. They're I the worst program in I would be making back channel overtures to Kerry Combs right now to let him know that you are our number one choice. And if I were Kerry Combs, it's like, well, I don't know if that's what my plan was, but I get to stay in Ohio. I get a shot at a head coaching thing, and I can't stay here. Like I like these guys. I'm not mad at Ryan Day, but I can't stay at a place where they demoted me when I've given great hard work to this program for a long time and like, and, and not, not even that he's mad and not that it's undeserved, but I just don't think you can stay. I just don't think you can. And like credit to him for not like leaving in the middle of the season, but I just don't think he can be back. So. Is it Larry? Is it any parallels to what Larry Johnson went through at Penn state where it's very clear that you've kind of hit your ceiling here, and but he didn't get demoted. Well, no, yeah, it, he it, it's demoted. Right. I just think it's, he got passed over, but not demoted. Mm-hmm. Right. Larry Johnson. Right. I mean, Larry Johnson was like the interim head coach for a game or whatever. Right. And they said, we're mm-hmm. not making you the head coach, but yeah, he got passed over, but not demoted. So yeah, but I, but I, but in, in terms of Larry Johnson, so it's different, Stephen. but in terms of like Larry Johnson, be like, you know what? I love this place, but in the end it didn't for a long time, we loved each other. And then in the end, it turned out they didn't quite love me the same way I loved them. They just didn't give me the next thing. And I was ready to take the relationship to the next level. I don't want it if it's just the same. I don't just want it at this. And if it's not going to be more, then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to find somewhere else that's a lateral move, but is very similar. And it's just new. And I think that from that standpoint, Stephen, I think it would be very similar. That it might just be, it's not that Kerry Combs hates Ohio State. It's not that Kerry Combs is so mad at Ryan Day, he can't be in the same building with them, but it's just like, it didn't work out here, but I can't stay here. That's, that's what my guess would be. And Zach Carpenter from on three asked a question about that today. Sort of like, how's the recruiting going? 
with Matt Barnes, how's the recruiting going with Kerry Combs? And Ryan Day was sort of saying like, oh, no, we haven't gotten any questions about that at all. So yeah, that's why I brought up that let's see how this defensive back 2022-2023, especially with guys like A.J. Harris, where they've got such a great relationship with Kerry Combs. Like, how does that work out? And how does, you know, Sonny Styles work out and some of these other guys? That might be a telling of. Oh, it might force, but I don't think it influences it. No, no, no. I don't think think them committing here would get him to stay. I think him staying would be a notch in why they would commit here. That's what I mean. No, yeah. Just like with Jeff Halfley, right? Jeff Halfley left and they lost one of the guys that Jeff Halfley recruited so hard. So I think that that could be very possible this offseason that, if Kerry is gone, well, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, I'm just reading tea leaves here. I'm not secretly talking to Kerry Combs. So, I mean, anybody anybody who's getting recruited by Ohio State and is going to being recruited by Kerry Combs is going to sign in December can see the same thing. And I can't believe nobody's asking anything. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, you got demoted, but you're cool. You're definitely like nobody's asking even to confirm, hey, you're staying, right? Or whatever. Well, I don't. I mean, like nobody's bringing it up. I have a hard time believing that nobody's yeah, asked yeah. a single thing about the demoted defensive um, coordinator and recruiting. I don't think you can both be that Kerry Combs is a reason why these defensive backs are coming here and none of them care whether he might be back next year or not. That doesn't add up. Which is, which is exactly why no one's pulled the trigger yet, because that question has not been answered. Yeah, maybe they're not asking it, but it also hasn't been answered. So mm-hmm. but but so I think I mean, we're not trying to make it. We're just being logical Bernard, you guys listening i mean you can figure this stuff out too would you stay at a job that you got hired to do one thing and got demoted it would be hard maybe some people would i mean that family circumstances and money and other stuff factors does factor into it but i do want to talk about for a moment sort of like people in less than ideal situations sort of hanging in and helping the team which in his own way, I, th- I certainly think Kerry Combs is doing right now, right? That we don't want to give too much credit because he's getting paid like a defensive coordinator and he wasn't good enough at that and he lost his job. And he's a, he's a big guy. He can handle it. But I thought the interview with Marcus Williamson today was very illuminating. And Nathan, it mirrored a conversation that we had on this podcast talking about this very idea of guys who are veterans who had bigger roles last year, who have been passed by younger guys this year, but now are helping the team by filling smaller backup roles. Because frankly, when they were starting, they were not at the typical Ohio state level. And that was not the best way for Ohio state to win, to have those guys starting, but they can help as backups. They can help as experience. They can help as, Hey, when a a younger guy needs a breather, if there's an injury, the backup that you're putting in knows what's up. He's been there before, but if that's your 70 snap a game guy, well, you know, that might not quite be good enough. What did you think of Marcus Williamson speaking with reporters on Tuesday? I thought it was impressive. I thought it was candid because he didn't say, hey, we're just a team and everybody fights for each other. You know, it wasn't cliched stuff. He came out and said, you know, this season didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. You can read between the lines on that. He's like, I didn't, I I didn't think I would get passed up to be the starting slot cornerback. He, I think he came into the season thinking that was going to be his job, or at least came into the preseason thinking that was going to be his job. Yep. And that didn't happen. And we talk about it sometimes. We, 
the media, fans, a lot of us talk about it in terms of almost like it's guys on a fantasy roster where it's just a name and numbers and it isn't a person. And it's a good reminder sometimes to get those guys up there and let them remind us, like, I'm a person who has feelings. And it is something that during your college career, you're going to have to confront that you were at one point the best option and now you're not. And I think in the in the context of what it means for this team, the, the, the example I brought up the other day being that the defense needed some master Teagues. They needed some guys who look great as backups, but who wouldn't be enough for this team, for Ohio State standards as a starter. And I think Marcus Williamson is a perfect example of that. Like if there's somebody out there who's more talented, which you know, Lathan Ransom and now Cam Martinez appear to have shown that they have a higher performance ceiling as far as what they can do over the course of a game than Marcus Williamson can, then Ohio State needs those guys to be on the field. But when that second level is someone like Marcus Williamson, instead of what they had last year, which was Marcus Williamson in front and then just like tumbling into the void after that, then you see how much better this defense is. Marcus Williamson played more snaps in the Sugar Bowl last year than he's played in five games this year so far. He's played 67 total snaps. He played 70 in that Sugar Bowl, which, I mean, to the we talked about it all offseason. If they're just going to roll out this exact same secondary as last year, minus Sean Wade, the exact same thing as last year is going to happen again. Some of these young guys are going to have to step up, and now we're seeing that. We're at the exact positions that we said it needed to happen at, and that's cover safety, that's outside corner with Denzel Burke showing up, and then Cam Brown just being healthy. It's at free safety with Lathan Ransom now being back there with Josh Proctor being out, and it's at the linebacker spots. You're seeing it with Cody Simon and and and, and Ronnie Hickman, who's a, as the bullet slash whatever you want to call it, and then Taraji Mitchell stepping up as well. At the positions we said all summer that they're going to need some young guys to step in and fill that void who are more talented. All that's being checked off every single week. And I will say this as someone who's the oldest person and most experienced person on this podcast. If one of you two guys came along and they were like, "Uh, yeah, Stephen and Nathan are doing all the hosting now. What do you think I'd do? You think I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to do what's best for the podcast. You do the and polar opposite of what Marcus Williams did. Today. Yeah, you, you do. A bunch you do of what came out. No, you do what came out. Pope did. Oh, uh, it oh, might, might be somewhere in between there. Okay, fine. Dallas can. Oh, no, I would not go quietly into the portal. <laughs> oh, there, there, there's the three levels. As, as an older guy who knows a, a younger guy is better than you, Ohio State basic, basically within a span of 14 days saw the three different levels that you can handle this. Very can, true. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong because everybody's emotions and how they handle things are differently. But especially when when you're 20 and okay, but Kayvon Pope's also happened in the middle of the game when you're hitting people and going 100 miles per hour while Marcus Williamson is answering questions in a calm man. The point is there's three different ways that this can be handled. And when you're dealing with 19 to 22 year olds, you're it's going to be a third of the, it's going to be split up in three different ways every single time. Everybody's not going to handle it like Marcus Williamson. There are people in that role. There are more than just Kayvon Pope. There's a lot more Kayvon Pope's on that roster than just him. Just like there's more Marcus Williamson's out there than just him. Well, but I think it's, I think it's fewer than a third of them go the Pope route. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of guys on really? Twitter after Pope mm-hmm. left the team officially supporting him who were saying, Hey, whatever. And they knew that, um, that, you know, they still were like, you're my guy. And, mm-hmm. and I think Taraja Mitchell, I think Zach Harrison, like guys like that, like leaders on this defense. So, 
Um, so I, I mean, I think Stephen's point is correct, but also, yeah, it's like a third, a third, a third. It's like a third storm off in the middle of a game, a third quietly transfer, and a third accept their backup job and stay on the team. It wouldn't be quite like that. But it is, there are, as you said, Stephen, it's not only Kayvon Pope, it's not only Marcus Williamson, it's not only Dallas Gant who would do this. And like Dallas Gant, like I, I, I'm not sure I would stay. And like we could joke about, of course, I would go loudly, but like I totally get leaving. Because you have to be, you're responsible for yourself, first of all. Because if you don't look out for number one, nobody else is going to. So I get, of course, doing things for the team. But also, like, you know, that's great if it also fits with what is good for you. Don't do what's good for the team that's bad, literally bad for you. So I get leaving. I, and, and tons of guys leave. I totally get that. It's also with those two guys, this is technically their fourth year. So, I mean, there should be an expectation that they should be playing with Marcus Williams that he chose to come back for an extra year that was granted because of what last year was. But for all intents and purposes, his final year in the program, he was a, a significant you know, player on this team, which was yeah. last year. This is just this is bonus. So, of course, he's the one that's like, this is a bonus year anyway. I'm getting another year of my education paid for. I'll just support this team. While with the other two, it's like, dude, this is like year four for us and we still can't get on the field here. I'm out. Yeah. So I don't let's focus on Marcus Williamson now because he's the guy that spoke today and we've covered the other stuff before. Uh, But I do think I don't we're not nobody is saying and some people do like transferring is not giving up on your team, whatever. Like you're allowed to do it. Lots of people do it. But I do think it's okay to acknowledge a guy like Marcus Williamson. And Nathan, to your point, I've always said this when I was a young baseball writer. And I would finish my game story, a major league baseball writer for just a terrible baseball team. And I'd finish my initial game story and be like, they suck, whatever. This guy's terrible. And then like you go down in the locker room in the clubhouse. And it's like, oh, that's right. They're humans. I forgot. So there is that part of it. But also like we're not there's no we're not going to apologize for being for critiquing, you know, like a level of play. Sure. And like it's big boy school and everybody's here. And like there's a lot of benefits to doing this. This comes with the territory. Again, I had a whole thing, the the whole man in the arena thing, like really bothers me at some point when people, every time um, you're critical of someone, because Urban's before, this was like when Urban was just 0-4 before the other Urban stuff happened and Urban's daughter posted the Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena thing. And it's like, we get it. We get it. But guess what? People comment on what other people do. This is like the way the world works. And so you can take, why don't you like put that up there when you're getting paid a bunch of money and getting a ton of praise for being in the arena. You never post it then. So like, you're going to get critiqued, live with it. Like I just, it's, it's, we get it. We get it. We don't do it. Right. So it's just enough with the man in the arena stuff. We get it. So we're not going to apologize for that. So like, we don't have to apologize to Marcus Williamson. He wasn't, he wasn't good enough to be a starting defensive player at Ohio state. We said that in the off season. And that proved to be true. But what he is doing now is quite a credit to him. And in the end, he got asked a lot of questions about it. And, and at the end, I just, you know, just asked another question. And he said, like, when you're teaching younger guys, sort of helping them along, and then they end up taking your snaps, he said, it's all about humility. And that, like, you know, it's not exactly how you wanted it, but you're still going to try to do your part. And it deserves to be recognized. And... Right now, Ohio State is better off with the way things are, and Marcus Williamson is still a part of it. And so I, this is like just – 
he, he went to the same high school uh, before he went to IMG that my daughters went to. So it's like, I just, mm. you know, it's kind of just whatever. So I just ran over to him after everything was done. and was like, hey, my daughters go to that school too, whatever. And it's just like, I do this on occasion just because I'm old and you get fatherly. And listen, I'm a journalist. I get it, whatever. But it's like, I just wanted to tell him that too. That it's like, well, this is not easy for you. And we've been on our podcast saying that you're not good enough to be a starter here. But like the way you're handling your business, like is really admirable. And it's clear that he has the respect of his teammates. And Ryan Day said some very positive things about him that in this past week, he sort of got rid of the distractions. And I think it distractions means like probably people telling the man like, hey, you should be starting. What's going on? You got screwed or whatever. And like, whatever. He put that aside and he had one of his best weeks of practice. And then he helped Ohio State last week. And and winning games is the goal. But what Marcus Williamson is doing for the Ohio State Buckeyes is an admirable thing. And it's not that we feel sorry for him, but I think you can recognize a guy in a tough spot, personally not getting everything he wants, but finding a way to still help the team, Nathan. And in a world where we sort of talked about, man, could it be a little weird when the young guys pass the old guys? Here's like a circumstance where, you know, probably was at least a little bit weird, but like the old guy handled it. And and that's a good thing all around. Yeah, I was actually just coming to look. Um, I can't. Did, is there a game that he didn't play? Yeah, he's only down it. for four snaps for he, snaps in four games. Hold on one second. Because I mean, the only point, the only reason I'm bringing that up is they've played five games. So if he's played in a fifth game, that's it. You cannot transfer and use this as a redshirt year. You have that. So he's like crossing a threshold right now of the full commitment. Well, Whereas he's already in a sixth. Guys. He's already in a sixth yeah. year. Nobody wants to go to college for seven years, right? Uh, maybe he, if you're getting if you're getting grad school paid for, or he whatever. played he 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 had special team snaps in the Minnesota game, and that was also. It. I don't think I don't think this is a sixth year. I think he he's a fifth as year? a true freshman. I think he's a fifth year. No, yeah. I thought he was uh, one of the super six. Yeah, he's one of the super. Well, I'm pretty sure because he's twenty. He's, well, he's twenty. Any, anybody who any senior who would have graduated last year stayed is a super senior. Right. So he's a he's super 20. senior, but he's not in his sixth year because he didn't redshirt. Okay. Right. I well, think so he, he could play anyway. a six year college football. There comes a point with everybody where it's like, I don't care how many redshirt years I can have. I'm a adult. Correct. I'm not yeah. playing college sports anymore. Correct. So he's probably I mean, at that point. Right. And he's a local guy, like you said. So that probably factors into it too. I, it's just, I, we get caught sometimes like, how much, how much stock do you put in this? How, how trite do you want to get with it? Like, at the, cause at the end of the day, it's about guys who like, who makes tackles and who, makes their blocks and all that stuff. And that's the crucial stuff. But this team did seem to be at a point with a loss, with some uh, depth chart uh, tumult, for lack of a better term, where, where guys are getting jobs taken from them that they were expecting, or guys who, even if they're in those jobs, were not performing to the level that they want to, where I think an example like his um, gets to – that sort of calm that Ryan day was talking about too, that steadiness. Like it, it, some of it is the, the coaches putting that example out there, but at some point you got to have players step up and make that example too. And he's an example of that. All right, quick break. We'll be back on Buckeye talk a few more things about the football team. And then we'll touch on urban Meyer very quickly right after this. Nathan Duggan, Steven six, one, four, three, five, Oh, three, three, one, five for the texts. Love to have you on the text. If we could. Would also invite you to listen to the College Football Playoff Show. The Tuesday episode went up on Tuesday. It's me and Shahan Jeharaja. We dug in a lot on Cincinnati in that one. That one is only for Apple Podcast subscribers. Costs two ninety nine a month to subscribe to that. You just do it on Apple, just like you buy a song. And um, 
it's 75 cents an episode because it's not $2.99 an episode. It's $2.99 for a month. And then you get the four Tuesday episodes for that. So we'd love to have you try that. And then the big Wednesday college football playoff show will be out on Wednesday. That's on all plat- podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else. And uh, did we, we considered Michigan, adding Michigan to the discussion. We kicked a team out of the discussion. And then our rankings this week were the teams we think that have the best chance to actually make the playoff. So it's not necessarily who we think is the best team right now. It's who we think has the best chance to make the playoff. And you'll be curious, I think, like where I think Ohio State fits in with other Big Ten teams compared to where I think Ohio State fits in compared to Cincinnati and where Shahan thinks that. We differ on how we rank the Big Ten teams in that. So go ahead. If you don't want to sign up for the Tuesday thing, I get it. But uh, the Wednesday is free. And then wherever you're listening to Buckeye Talk, you find the College Football Playoff Show. Get that Wednesday pod. And then the tech subscription for the College Football Playoff Show, 817-442-6789. Had some good Cincinnati football survey questions this week. That's only a buck a month. Steven, you asked Ryan Day about the offensive line. And you asked Nicholas, or maybe you didn't ask Ryan Day. You asked Nicholas Petit Frere. Maybe you asked both. Day too. Yeah, you asked asked Day too. Yeah. We saw them sort of revert to the line we thought they were going to start, to, that they were going to have this season, which is Nicholas Petit Frere at right tackle, Thayer Munford at left tackle. They did that at Rutgers. What was your, what did you gather from the answers today about what that, brief showing of that with Petit Frere going back to right tackle from left tackle and the other moves. What did it all mean? Um, uh, MPF said basically from what he said and is that it just happened in the moment. They weren't necessarily preparing to do that. They came up to him at halftime and said, Hey, would you want to play some right tackle so we can get some other guys in the game? He said, yeah, I'll do it. But it didn't seem like it was something that they were planning to do from his perspective even though the coaching staff probably at one point came together to meet and said that we're going to throw some different stuff right here because what it boils down to is Ryan Day said they have six or seven guys who deserve to play. And that's the five stars that we've been seeing plus, you know, a healthy Harry Miller and then Matthew Jones with the way he's played the last couple of weeks and the way the Rutgers game was going, this gave you an opportunity that if somebody had some type of, if they got hurt, even with a little bit where you could pull them out a little bit, then they took that opportunity to test some other stuff out. That meant putting Thayer Mumford back at left tackle and Nicholas Petit for back at right tackle. It meant trying Matthew Jones at both left and right guard. Obviously, Harry Miller just did a lot of garbage time stuff because this was his first game back. But I would assume that if the Maryland game gets kind of out of hand, the same way this Rutgers game did, they might try it again just because they have the option of doing that as they're trying to work in some guys. But Ryan Day made it seem like the starting five that we've been seeing is what is cemented as being the starting five. But we'll see because, I mean, we talked about it at length, the idea that how many games could Harry Miller miss before it was Luke Whipple's job. But as he gets healthy, could he could potentially take that job back over the next two weeks? So here's the deal. So there have been times in the past when in a blowout, they put the second team line in. I mean, you just, you just do that. You put in the second team line is just, is this their second team line? It's just that they keep a lot of the first line guys in and move them to different positions. And that's why they're doing this. Is that what this is? Yeah, that, that might be what it is. But at the same time, it was like 17 to seven. The first time we saw them kind of change up the, the, the offensive line in that game. So, but I, yeah, maybe this is just their second look at an offensive line. If something happens. He said somebody got dinged up which I think was Paris Johnson Jr. originally. So that's what originally triggered the first mm-hmm. changes we saw, right? So there's mm-hmm. a difference between that and then what we saw a little bit later where they were really mixing it up. I don't, I mean, I don't know. If, if you're in a true blowout situation, you're not going to have those guys in there very long, I don't think, especially if you don't have C.J. Stroud in the game too. 
So we just, I just, we know what happened. Why did they do it? They just did it because the guy got hurt and that's how they adjusted. They put the next best guy in and that, that means guys moving around. So that's mainly well, the, it. But I'm saying like that, the move around stuff didn't really happen until later. It was just Matt Jones playing right guard for Paris Johnson Jr. at first. Well, so then no. why did they do it? All I care about is why are they doing it? Because they have the depth and they can. Okay. All right. Then it's not a very interesting discussion. We don't think it's something we didn't gather any information. This is, we had the same conversation after the game. We're just having the same conversation now. I, Ryan I, I Day and Nicholas Petit Frere said words about it, but we didn't actually learn any information. I certainly didn't get the vibe from them that it was part of a potential readjustment of that line. In fact, Ryan Day even said to a question Stephen asked, like, no, that's still the starting line. What you saw out there is still the starting offensive line. So I really think it's more just about it's not just that necessarily that that whole line is the second string offensive line that they keep those guys in when common cord comes in and they just rearrange positions. But I think it is bolstering what might potentially have to happen if someone were out for the long term. Okay. And then the other thing, the X factor that's hanging out there is, is where is Harry Miller in his return and how soon does he get back to being like a, a frontline level player? So, but the X factor of that is actually not much of an X factor because he would just take Whipler's spot, but we think that probably wouldn't happen. I don't want to like be dismissive of Harry Miller, but I'm dismissing Harry Miller. Like, what does it matter if Harry Miller plays or not? Right. I mean, Matthew Jones is the, is the sixth guy at the moment and they have enough flexibility with the tackles and guards that whatever happens with Harry Miller, like, I don't think Harry Miller has an impact on the football team this season. Is that fair to say? It's starting to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of impacting the football team, it's like, it's cool, whatever. They'll figure it out, but it's not like uh, he's not an X factor because X factor is what people use when it's like important and it doesn't feel important to the team. I just meant in terms of like deciding that, that too deep, Uh, that, that thing of having two guys that you think are maybe frontline caliber at each position across the five. Okay. What um, do you think Maryland can throw it, Nathan? Do you think Maryland will come in here? Uh, Talia Tongavailoa like had thrown for more than 300 yards in three of his first four games. He had 10 touchdown passes and one interception in his first four games against Iowa. He had two touchdowns and five interceptions. Ryan Day said basically throw that Iowa game out. Do you agree with that? Is that how it, it, it that? the Ohio state defense should approach this. Is that how Ohio state fans should approach thinking about this Maryland game, throw out Iowa? Well, I'm sure Ohio state won't throw out what they saw on film uh, that Iowa did uh, because there are, I'm sure they learned ways to attack tongue of Iloa, but I would say in terms of expectations, I would throw it out. Don't, don't assume that Ohio state's going to come in and just flatten somebody because they had five interceptions the week before. Um, The the thing about tongue of Iloa was to me, the thing that was impressing me wasn't necessarily the, the, the yardage numbers or even the touchdown numbers, because those can be misleading sometimes. You, the context on those is a little bit different. I thought the efficiency number was what was really important. I mean, he was completing somewhere between like 72 and 82 percent of his passes in all four of those games. Um, wasn't turning the ball over. Obviously, that got corrected. Uh, regress to the mean in a hard way but he was being very efficient with it whereas last year it was kind of on again off again whether he was showing up on a week-to-week basis and he wasn't playing big 10 teams early but that so I would say I would expect a regression back towards what you saw the first four weeks not saying he's gonna come out and throw for 350 yards to complete 80 percent of his passes against Ohio State 
but I don't think I would be surprised if he just collapsed the way he did against Iowa. His best weapons got out. Dante Demas is out for the year. So it becomes a question of, can they keep Raheem Jarrett from going crazy? And then, you know, can the, can they get pressure on Talia? If they can do those two things, I'm not saying they're going to have five picks the way Iowa did, but they can at least, you know, you know, halter some of this efficiency that it be, he can be in that 55% range that he was against Iowa. They can do that. Yeah, it's almost does does Talia Tungavaloa have to prove that he was the quarterback that he was the first four weeks, or does Ohio State have to prove that it is a defense that deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as Iowa? Yeah, I actually think that is the most interesting comparison here is getting a comparison of the Ohio State defense compared to the Iowa defense through Maryland. That that is the issue because if you look at the SP plus ratings. Iowa's defense is ranked fourth in the country. Ohio State's is 27th. Now, Iowa, Ohio State's defense is much different than they were in the first couple of weeks. So I, they are probably maybe better than the 27th best defense in the country right now with the guys they're playing and the adjustments that they've made. But that is some kind of gauge, right, Nathan? I mean, in a world where we only get 12 regular season games as a sample size, transitive property of, well, Iowa's defense did this. Let's see what Ohio State's defense does. That might be the number one thing that people should be looking for on Saturday. I think that's a really good point. And it's it's also a, a you know, what Iowa did on the road in, in in Maryland as opposed to what Maryland, you know, Ohio State's going to be doing at home. The, the PFF grades are pretty similar, too. They have Iowa third overall and Ohio State, like 30th, I think, in defense, something like that, 25th. So, so again, very similar separation there. But that we're starting to see the, the climb from Ohio State's defense. I think we're starting to see them more in the range we expected. I don't know that anybody thought there's going to be a great defense again, but it needed to at least be a defense that could take a little bit of the pressure off of a, a first-time starting quarterback, and I think we're starting to see that. Now it's just a matter of, uh, as we've talked about a million times, um, repeating it. And I, they, they, I, I, I especially want to see from a pressure standpoint – because I thought last week, you know, a drop from nine sacks to one or whatever it was week to week it seems pretty stark. But again, in context of the opponents, maybe not. Um, but I, the, the pressure that Ohio State brought, I thought at times really did affect the game and create some turnovers. So are they able to kind of apply some of that to Maryland again this week and kind of keep that progression going? Because if the, if the pressure ever completely leaves this defense again, then uh, and fades into the background then that that sort of that pattern, the way it all kind of wraps together starts to fall apart too. All right. Any other football stuff we need to talk about that we learned on Tuesday? Any valuable lessons that we gleaned? Some some of the Craig Young conversation was interesting to me of a guy that uh, I thought, I can't remember who asked about, because we'd been talking about it. Landis. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Landis asking about that distinction between Hickman and young, where we thought that that was going to be a shared position. And then Ronnie Hickman decided instead that he's just going to lead the big 10 and tackles this year or whatever. So, and never come (laughs) off the field and play like a couple different spots. So, uh, but the idea that they do see some value in Craig Young and now it's just a matter of how to get him on the field and maybe the attrition that they've had at linebacker plays into that as well. Um, I'm, so we didn't really see it against Maryland, but we've also seen some other cases this year where they say a guy is maybe going to be moving around a little bit and that next game it, he doesn't have as much of a role and then the game after that he starts coming out. So I'm, I just kind of got my eye on Craig Young. You brought up with Ryan Day that he, we have seen him in some of those those blitz packages where he comes up like standing up at the line of scrimmage. There's an athleticism there that they can take advantage of. I can, um, 
who was it we were asking about him um was it was it marcus williamson who marcus was talking williamson, about yeah him and say that he's the fastest he's the biggest guy in the db room but he also runs around like he's a little guy so there's clearly something there that they can use it's just a matter of how do you get it on the field and they says they want to get him and um hickman on the field at the same time so i don't know if that would be in just three linebacker sets or if they think that he could take um somebody else's spot maybe like a nickel linebacker situation i don't know but the, I'm, I'm curious how they how they work that out he seems very situational right now but also in the name of we've kind of been talking about this too for the last two years doing things to prepare you for when you play a like-minded opponents like if you get into the playoff how about you just run the defense now that you're going to have to play then instead of waiting until you have to get into the playoff he seems like that idea of playing him and Rodney Hickman together seems like something you would do against Oklahoma and Georgia for 45 snaps while for to get through the Big Ten, you might only see him for 15. Because that, as he well, said, no, I don't... he's up on the line for like third down situations, but then there's times on first and second down where he's just back. I how would what would he play if they were on the field together for 45 snaps? What would Craig Young be playing? Who would be coming snaps, off the field? I don't, I don't know what that would be. That would have to be if someone else wasn't available. Because listen, Ronnie Hickman's just a safety now. Ronnie Hickman's mm-hmm. a, a strong safety. So it's like, all right, so it's Ronnie Hickman and the other, and the free safety. There's two safeties. There's four defensive linemen. There's two corners. There's a cover safety. So that's nine. So now there's two spots left, and that's the two linebackers. Do you, do so, you take your best coverage linebacker and play him as a guy who is the size of a linebacker? So, okay. So it's not three linebackers. So he's just a linebacker then. So then yeah. it's like a, so there's a world where instead of playing like a, like a four, two, five, right. Mm-hmm. I think they could almost play like a four, one and a half, five and a half where Craig young is one of, I do. And we talked about this before. And I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it, it's only a, I mean, listen it's again, crazy, everybody listen. like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing we talked about. We're like, you know what? Now that Cam Martinez is playing, we'd like to say, see Lantham, Lathan Ransom as a deep safety. And it was like the next week they did that. It's like, well, you can figure it out. We talked last week about, I think maybe Craig Young should be one of their nickel linebackers mm-hmm. because they only have four yep. linebackers. And it's like, well, he was a linebacker. You made him a bullet. You don't need him to be a bullet. Court Williams can be the other bullet. So what is he? He's just a linebacker. He's a coverage linebacker. When you have two linebackers on the field in your nickel package. And so Rather than Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon, right? I don't know that Taraja is the greatest cover linebacker in the world. Tommy Eichenberg's not. Naote, hey, Na- it's coming off a pick. Yeah, but by so the guy so, 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 so you see any, his vertical on that pick? So you see his vertical? any way, back to your point, Doug, I'm not even... But Naote, Naote, Naote is not really a coverage guy either. So it's like, all right, those are healthy right now. And those yeah. are your linebackers. So it's like, well, who is it? It's like, all right, well, then just play Cody Simon and Craig Young as your third down linebackers. On third and nine, when you have two linebackers on the field, have it be those two guys. And I think I think that could be that. I just don't think that's a 45 snap a game. I'm going to be 20, 20 snaps a game. And then every now and then you drop them in as like a, a hovering dude. You don't even don't even give the position a name. It's just like, oh, we took a linebacker up until we put Craig Young in. What's he playing? It's like, I don't know. He's playing the Craig Young. He's he's floating around. I mean, he's he's being dangerous. Again, Craig Young, I have so much stuff. It's like maybe I'll write my Craig Young Isaiah Simmons story, like in December, from the conversation we had in August. But like that's what Craig, what is he? I don't know. I wouldn't want him standing over a guard on third down. 
and you think he might blitz or he might drop in coverage. I don't know. The guy's again, he's big and he's fast, Nathan. So, but he's wasted. If he's sharing a position with Ronnie Hickman that Ronnie Hickman won't let go, you're wasting him because I think he's can give you more than I'll play when Ronnie Hickman needs to tie a shoe. Yeah. And the more that you line Ronnie Hickman up in a conventional two safety look, which they're doing more and more and more pre-snap. I started to chart it live at the game the other night. Like, Oh, I'm just going to write down like how often they have to. And it was just like every play. So I just stopped doing it after a while. So, um, which has been a progression obviously over the course of this year. So in that way, Craig young, the way you're describing him, that to me has always been what the bullet is. It's like, it's almost a player who defies description. So it's this weird full circle thing that brings Craig young back around to being the bullet because they don't use the bullet. And then they They, just, it becomes a specialized role, which I don't think is bad. (laughs) They just have a strong safety and a free safety on the field. Yeah. Ronnie Hickman just does strong safety things while Craig young does bullet things, which goes back to, this is exactly what they want from Sonny Styles to be the bully and not a strong safety. But what what are we going to do when Ronnie Hickman is like first team all Big Ten safety? It's going to be like, well, he's not really a safety. That's what he's going to be. What are they going to put him? You can't, you can't make the Big Ten be like a bullet. It's like, hey, can you make a new position for the all Big well, Ten team? We he were at, he's a safety. We're watching the game when the Big Ten, you know how they, they, they'll put like the, the lower third of the starting lineup up? They have Ronnie Hickman listed as a linebacker, and it drove me nuts for a second because he did nothing like that. He doesn't like do anything a linebacker, linebacker does. Yeah, he does none of the linebacker things at all. Oh, I'm trying to check where Isaiah Simmons was, what he was called when he was linebacker. all ACC. Probably linebacker. Yeah, he's linebacker because he won the Buckus Award, and that's oh, yeah. the, uh, the award for the best linebacker. But I also don't think Isaiah Simmons was lining up 18 yards from the line of scrimmage. True. He was more of a yeah middle tier. He was floating, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a linebacker. He so everywhere. Okay. So that's, that's the rest of our, that's our football conversation for this Tuesday. Um, I think we are going to do coaching Mount Buckmore for the Thursday pod. We are going to pick the four head coaches who would be on the Mount Buckmore for Ohio state. It will lead us into a little bit, I think, of an interest, interesting Urban Meyer legacy conversation, which was not the original intention of this. But the main thing will be the idea of Ryan Day, where he is and sort of what he would need to do to be on that Mount Buckmore for Ohio State coaches. So we'll plan on that for the Thursday pod. Texters will have a say in that, as always. And then we'll have our game preview pod on Friday. But we'll be back on Buckeye Talk right after this. We just got to talk about Urban Meyer a little bit. We'll do that next. Doug Nathan Stevens. So this, everybody knows by now, happened Saturday night. Urban Meyer was in Columbus at one of the restaurants that has his name on it. After Jacksonville on Thursday night lost in Cincinnati, he did not fly back with the team. He stayed in Columbus. He had a news conference on Monday, and he said, I stayed to see the grandkids. And Shelly Meyer on Saturday night was tweeting out, like, I'm home with the grandkids, babysitting the grandkids, well, because Buddy needed a night. Uh, needed a break buddy is what they call urban Meyer instead of like uh, grandpa or pop pop or whatever. And then Ryan, and then urban Meyer videos came out. I mean, I can't imagine there's anybody listening to it. Who's like, what urban Meyer video. Whoop. If you are just type in urban Meyer video and your questions will be answered. So he did that on Saturday night. And, you know, I was like, as long with everybody else, like watching it unfold in real time. And it's like, well, what do you know? What do you do with this? And we didn't really do anything. It's like, it's one of those things that it's not great. 
it's more than not great, but it's not breaking a law and he's not an Ohio state employee anymore. If he was an Ohio state employee that happened, we would have had it up on cleveland.com in two minutes, but he's not. So it became an issue when it affects his current job. And when he has to apologize to the Jacksonville Jaguars players and front office and owner, then it becomes something worth that rises more to the level of sort of like, Hey, did you hear this thing? It's like, this is having an effect on his ability to do his job. So now we're here on Tuesday and Sean Khan, the owner of the Jaguars who brought Urban Meyer to Jacksonville posted a statement that was like, he asked, he has to earn our trust back. And he was like, I'm sure he's remorseful. And I believe that's sincere and he has to work to earn our trust back. And I believe that he can do that or whatever. But like the only reason you have to earn trust back is because you lost it. So he didn't say he lost it, but he said he had to earn it back. So that implies that he lost it. And then Michael Silver, the longtime NFL reporter, tweeted out that he talked to a Jaguars player and the Jaguars players were like, he has no credit. This Jaguars player said he has no credibility in the locker room anymore. So um, it's not just prurient. It's like PR, not purient, right? Prurient, like gawking, right? We're not just doing it to be like uh, sleazy. Wait, I got to look up words now. As I get older, words fall out of my head which is not a great thing. Having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. Okay, I'll take that out. That's, I guess, uh, <laughs> maybe don't read definitions from, from a dictionary live on the show, Doug, <laughs> of or having to do with the what? Prurient. Prurient. That's the word I meant. So it's not just that, because it's like, I think he might, I don't think, it's like you read, he might lose his job over this. And not, not necessarily just over this, but because he's 0-4 and because he's made other mistakes and because he seems somehow like unprepared for what he's dealing with, which is kind of hard to believe for a guy who's 57 years old and has been a head coach for 20 years. But it's like he didn't know what he was getting himself into. And so I've had trouble kind of, by the time you listen to this, I think my column on this will be up. I've had trouble trying to figure out what to write because I don't just want to scold him. Who am I to scold him? I mean, I'm someone who's never done what he did. So, but that's not the only thing. But like, what does it hurt, right? It doesn't really hurt Ohio State, I don't think. He doesn't get a check from them anymore. He only hurt himself and his family. I mean, if he's not the coach of the Jaguars, I'll get another coach. They'll be fine. So, but the thing that I am trying to convey, and, and I have the thing written and my editor looked at it again. I've rewritten it twice now, and I might go back and adjust it again a third time. I don't want to scold him, but the main thing is like, man, like, what are you doing? And, and I don't know. And part of me is like, well, is that worth it? But sort of on behalf of people listening to this podcast and fans of Ohio State, who Urban Wire was a very important part of their lives for seven years, I do think it's kind of because a lot of people are now not a people, not a lot of people were writing about it initially. Then some people wrote about it Monday, and then more writing about it Tuesday. But they're mostly writing about it from the NFL angle, and the NFL angle is like, man, this guy might not have it. But there is an Ohio State angle, Nathan, I believe, because this guy in seven years. I don't know if he's an Ohio State legend. He's a college football legend, and he did legendary things at Ohio State. We all, all the things we talk about. He changed the program. He won a national championship. He lifted the recruiting. He raised the competitive level of the Big Ten. And now he's out doing this, sitting on a bar stool in Columbus, like allowing this to happen. 
and not removing himself from the situation and encouraging the situation. And it didn't break a law, but it's like, man, what are you doing? And I don't know if man, what are you doing is a column, but I, does that feel Nathan to you? And again, we we're talking about this on Ohio state podcast. I don't really care about the Jaguar stuff, although that's the immediate thing, but like, If he fails there, if he loses his job there, if he loses his credibility in an NFL locker room, I think that affects backward his Ohio State legacy to some degree. And him sitting on a bar stool, allowing this to happen, a woman suggestively dancing right in front of him, and him certainly not pushing her away, wearing an Ohio State shirt, in a Columbus bar restaurant that has his name on it, it felt to me like he was like, I'm 0-4 in the NFL. I'm not going to fly home to Jacksonville. I'm going to like stay and revel in my Ohio-ness. Because remember when I was like the king of Ohio? I'm going to put on my Ohio State shirt, go to my restaurant, and relive the good old days for a moment. And then this happened. And I think that matters, Nathan, at least a little to how – people who loved him at Ohio state or people who had questions about him as Ohio state fans, you throw this log on the fire. Don't you? It plays some role in how people will look at urban Meyer. I think from now on, yes or no. Yes. What hastened his exit at Ohio state? And it obviously exhibited lack of judgment. Yes. With in Zach, Zach Smith. Smith's situation. And this is being seen as you can, I can see it on social media. Like there's football fans across the country who see this as an extension of that, that they see this as being a repeated kind of pattern of behavior by urban Meyer. And I could care less what he does with his personal life, but the optics here do matter. And that go as, because one of the reasons you're paid the way you are as a football coach is because of the, the optics and the image that you put out there. And when you're paid at his level and you have his name, and when, when I would see this unfold, it's like, well, either you were like astonishingly naive and as kind of you said, like underprepared for the moment of like knowing why, how you're supposed to act as the Jacksonville Jaguars head football coach, or you're just like so incredibly like arrogant and privileged that you don't care how you act and you should get away with it. It's like one of those two things, but really those are the only two options. So he can pick whichever one he wants it to be, but I don't know. It, it, it just... It's it's not the way you want to start off when you're are when when you're also zero and four. I think that's and that's the thing that people keep coming back to as well is like, I want how common is it that the head coach doesn't accompany the team back to Florida or back to the back to after a road game? I mean, it'd be one thing if they had a bye week. I don't believe right. they do, right? No, they have no. a game this week. They, so game. they play Tennessee for the weekend, right? So I know they it was an early game, whatever. But like, still, like it's it's just it, it's. Uh, it, for all those people who thought that he was not going to be able to handle this partially because of some of the things. And I, people try to bring up Aaron Hernandez and stuff too. And I don't know, I don't know if I go quite to that extent, but that there is, there is something here where there is some self-sabotage with urban Meyer. And this seems to be potentially another example. You said lack of judgment. And I think that's the, the best way to put it because that part of it whether okay if you want to blame him for Aaron Hernandez or not like whatever the point is these lack of judgments keep following him everywhere he goes and this started off bad with some of his hires 
as soon as he got the Jacksonville job. And now he adds this on top of it. And it's like every time he has one of these lack of judgments, it gets worse. It's worse than the last lack of judgment. Because at least with the Zach Smith stuff is bad, but it's like you just made a bad coaching hire. But also that like, that's not you didn't make those decisions. Zach Smith, they made those decisions. You made these last two decisions with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they don't look good from from an optic standpoint. That's what this boils down to with Urban Meyer is everywhere he goes, he has these lack of judgments that build on each other. And when you're not winning, people aren't going to let it slide like they did in the past. I do think, and again, like compared to, I think you make a good point, the Zach Smith thing, and we don't want to, there's no point in relitigating the Zach Smith thing, but the Zach Smith thing was Zach Smith did a thing. And then Urban Meyer was Zach Smith's boss mm-hmm. and also had a personal relationship with him. But the main thing was like, as his boss, should he have fired Zach Smith? And the answer is probably yes. He probably should have fired him at Florida and he probably should never have hired him at Ohio state or fired him earlier at Ohio state, but he didn't do the thing. And I, and I, people would say, well, he covered it up and that whatever again, that was sort of another person was involved. This is, this is less egregious because, again, there was no harm done to others, seemingly, right? That it was Urban harmed himself and his family. And it is self-sabotage. That's a good word to use, Stephen. But I felt like when Urban made mistakes before, he made mistakes as someone who was trying to be in control and was deciding, I'm not going to do this or that because I think – I want to keep this person employed or this is the best thing for this situation, or I want to keep this player on our team, whatever. Th- those were like, they were sins of like more commission, right? That he was making a choice maybe to not do anything. This is just like, he just let it go, which is like, which again is like, what are you doing? And I do think urban had said this, that when he was in Florida, and he sort of had his group of guys when he got to Florida that kind of came with him from Bowling Green and Utah, mostly Dan Mullen. And then some of those other key guys who were there with him, but Dan Mullen and followed him from Bowling Green. That was his right-hand man. Um, but like guys like Mickey Marotti, and then he got Mark Pantone in Florida, but he had, he kept Charlie strong on the Florida staff, Greg Madison, Billy Gonzalez, I think, I mean, just some of the key guys. And as he lost those guys at Florida, he kind of lost his way a little bit with the second round of hires. And he said that that's not me. That's him saying that. Then he came to Ohio state. He brought Mickey Marotti. He brought Mark Pantone. You know, he didn't know Tom Herman, but I think he grew to trust Tom Herman pretty quickly. And he assembled kind of like another staff, right. That he, I think trusted. And it feels like, I know like the, they have an ops guy, Fernando Lovo, who is in Jacksonville, who was at Ohio state and then went with Tom Herman in Houston. Uh, but they're like, Mick didn't go, right? Mickey Marotti didn't go to Jacksonville. You know, Brian Voltolini, who followed from Florida and came to Ohio State, he's still at Ohio State. Brian Voltolini was the guy who was like telling Urban to like wipe his phone during the Zach Smith stuff. Like he's not in Jacksonville. Like yeah, most of Stamper went. Him. Stamper went. Yeah. But he didn't bring like a ton of his guys. And it feels like Urban's making decisions. And listen, it's like he doesn't, he shouldn't need his hand held. He's the boss. He's won three national championships. He thinks of himself as a CEO. He developed a structure and a culture at Ohio State that Ryan Day adopted a lot of. He shouldn't need his hand held. But I don't know if he has anybody there. Stamper, you're right to point out Stamper. I don't know if he has a ton of people there who are, being, who are telling Urban, what are you doing? Like if Urban said like, hey, man, I'm not going to fly back with the team. I'm going to go see the grandkids. Somebody should have said, Urban, we're 0-4. You're a first-year head coach. Fly back with the dang team. 
And then the players have the weekend off. If you want to fly back to Ohio on the private jets, two hour flight, go ahead. But also, you know what? Maybe grind some tape for your 0-4 team when you have 10 days to prep for your rival. He said, Sean, so it's Mike Vrabel, by the way, who worked for Urban Meyer at Ohio State, who's coaching the Titans. Urban Meyer, they're going to play the Titans. And they were joking after Urban Meyer had his press conference Monday. That was like, I apologize to everybody. I apologize to everybody. Then they just went on and talked about football. And it was like crazy. And they were talking about how like the Tennessee rivalry is big with Jacksonville. And someone said, oh, I guess Tennessee's like the team up north for the Jaguars. And he was like, oh, yeah, the owner said that. And it was like everyone kind of laughed. And it was like, what are you laughing about? It was just insane. It was like, I guess you have to go on. But that's all the whole thing. It feels like it can't go on, which is like if it feels like you can't get away from what happened on that bar stool. It's like, how's he going to have How could he lead this team? So that's very much in question. But somebody should have said Urban fly home with the team and he should have thought of it himself but when he didn't think of it himself and he's in charge of that franchise man he hired the gm shad khan gave him the keys someone should have said urban fly home with the team and when he wanted to hire was it chris doyle was the iowa strength coach guy players said said racial remarks who had to take a balloon payment from iowa to get out because it was a mess and Kirk Ferentz is lucky he survived that. When Urban wanted to hire that guy, somebody should have said, Urban, you can't hire this guy. How is nobody telling him that? And if people are telling them that, how is he not listening? And that's where, to me, it comes in like either you are so astonishingly naive that you don't understand why those were the wrong decisions or you know how people are going to react to him and you do him anyway. Cause you think you're just entitled to do what you want. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it's one of those two things. And like both are bad. You can pick whichever one you want, Mr. Meyer, but it's one of those two things. Yeah. And I also like, I know money doesn't solve every problem in the world, but when you're paid at his level, the grandkids can fly down every weekend. I'm sorry. They just can like, well, and, and also yeah. now I guess no, the, the right. counterpoint, the counterpoint is that you can, uh, he could also break down film from Dublin as easy as he can from Florida, potentially with the technology we have now, but still it, from an optic standpoint, it's terrible. It was a bad decision and then compounded by another bad decision. And um, optics matter when you're trying to get this off the ground, when they were one in 15 last year and they're zero and four, and you're trying to win over a locker room of people who probably were somewhat skeptical of you from the reporting that is out yeah. there now, anonymously people, some, some guys in that locker room are already kind of looking at him sideways and wondering if he was maybe bought into this um, because some of the things that have happened in his, the past in his career made you wonder how committed he was to things sometimes. And again, this, it's, it's, it's not a good start. Doug made a, the point is well taken. I mean, no, he's a grown man. He doesn't need handheld. No grown man needs their handheld, but every human being on this planet needs somebody in their life who's telling them when it's time to go home. Yeah, no, and right. Like, and it doesn't seem like there's enough people because even Stamper, he's like 15 years younger than, right. You know, he played for coach Meyer. That's a, that's a different dynamic right there. When someone's your coach, there's no one, there isn't a Mark Pantone or a Mick Marotti who they're equal and seeing eye to eye who can just go, no, nah, we should go home. We've been out here long enough. Let's go home. And so you know, he's making mistakes that his player that you typically see their, a coach's players make. You'd expect to see a 22-year-old rookie making this type of mistake, not a, a 50-year-old well, head coach. He said that in his statement. He was like, oh, uh, Trevor Lawrence said he was going to Vegas for his bachelor party. He's and I was 20. like, oh, be careful. <laughs> like, hey, be careful. I'm like, you can't even go to the short north. 
<laughs> Who are you to lecture Trevor Lawrence? There's somebody like if you just had somebody who's kind of a jerk, right? Like there's not afraid to like just say urban, right? That knows him a little bit, isn't his best friend, but knows him a little bit, like is close enough in age with him that would feel comfortable, that would probably take like 250, right? 250 to go work for the Jags and just be like are the you, tell urban. Resume in right now? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I am here but, to be a life coach. But does that sound like the people he's ever hired ever? I don't, don't know. look at the people that he's hired. I the think, people uh, he's hired as his subordinates throughout his Ohio State career. A lot of them were not people who weren't going to say no to him. It was the people I, who were going to say, thank God for hiring me. I, I think his initial hires at places are always that. Yeah. It's when those guys leave. Because even when he first got Ohio State, I mean, uh, uh, Mike Vrabel was still here. Kerry Combs is an Ohio guy. He brought Mark Pantone up on the first thing flying and Mick Marotti on the first thing flying. That, those first initial hires, yes. It's when those guys move on with their life and go elsewhere and he has to do it again is when things go a little haywire. Maybe some just, of those people you mentioned were people he brought with him from Florida. Yeah. Right. And he just didn't, he didn't do that this time. Like they're all here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Volt or Mick have that ability, like to help guide him a little bit, just to give friendly advice, right? That they're peers. Um, I did ask texters about it and a lot of people responded. This was before. When did I ask this? This was before the stuff on Tuesday. There was some reaction from texters who responded, who were like, what's the big deal? Like, it's his life. It's between him and his wife. And it's like, you know what? It's not <laughs> because like his boss is going to be mad and he is at a very public job and this affects his job. So like y- you can think that should be the case. It's not the case. This is not voyeuristic. We're peeping into like someone's private life. Like this matters for his job. How big of a deal was Urban Meyer's behavior on Saturday? Huge mistake by him. Not great, but he only hurt himself. No biggie. People are making a big deal over almost nothing. Not great, but only hurt himself one, 53%. And then the two sides, huge mistake by him was 35. No biggie was 13. So almost three times more with like the worst case scenario than the "Ah, no big deal scenario. How did Urban Meyer's behavior Saturday influence your view of him? Again, this is dedicated, loyal, educated Ohio State fans. I always liked him and still do. I always liked him, but he took a hit in my mind. I always wondered about him as a person. I'm not surprised, which again, is just like, again, Urban came with some baggage from Florida. And it just depended. It's like some people were like, we'll take you as the coach, but they acknowledged the baggage. Always wondered one, but it was pretty close. 38%. I always liked him, but it took a hit 37%. So that's 75% of the people who are like, it matters to your view. I always liked him and still do 25%. And then this is kind of it, which is why we're not doing a whole podcast on it. How much do you care about what happens in Urban Meyer's life right now? I don't care at all. I'm curious, but not super invested. I still really care. He's a Buckeye forever. 59% curious, but not super invested. So that's a pretty overwhelming of like, I care a little bit, but whatever. Still really care. He's a Buckeye forever. 24%. So a quarter. And then I don't care at all. 17%. So more people care a lot than don't care at all. Again, the two edges. But there's a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, in passing would make note of what happened with Urban. So we try to make note of it in passing. You can go read my thing on cleveland.com, which again is kind of just basically, man, what are you doing? I, I... I mean, do I, would I say I like Urban? Like he's, he's a personable guy. And I thought that 
you know, the 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 people there are a lot of people in the media who like just dislike Urban Meyer, absolutely dislike him. A lot of people who covered him at Florida, some in the national media, they make it very plainly known, which is fine. They're allowed to have that opinion. Um, I certainly was never in that camp. I, I never thought he was like just an awful person, an irredeemable, like two faced person, whatever. It's like I thought he handled the Zach Smith stuff poorly, but a lot of people in that situation handled Zach Smith poorly. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know that that Zach Smith's boss is like the number one person who's supposed to step in here when the cops don't seem to be doing anything and the families don't seem to be doing anything. So not to relitigate that, but it wasn't great. I didn't think that was like the worst thing that a person could do. He, he should have done better. And I thought the suspension was the right move there. I did not think he should have been fired for that. And then I thought he was like the things he said at Ohio state. I mean, again, I think you go by, how people react to him. And like a lot of people that played for urban and coached with urban, like, liked urban. And a lot of people thought he pushed you really hard and was like kind of a tough boss and whatever. But I didn't feel like there were like a ton of people constantly at Ohio state who were like, ah, oh, this guy's full of crap. You know, I, I, I didn't think that was the main vibe at Ohio state. So I, I don't think he's a bad guy. And so I'm, how do I say this? I don't think he's, I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, but I just don't, I don't like write him off as like, well, that's urban. He's just a terrible jerk as some people might. So do I know him super well? No, I don't know him super well. Do I know him a little bit? Was I in the room with four other people when he was talking about the cyst in his head? Yes. Did he seem very genuine in that moment? Yes. Was he talking about the cyst in his head at the bar on Saturday? No. But do you have to lock yourself in a cave because you have a medical issue? No. So, you know, it is what it is. And I'm kind of at just like, man, what are you doing? Because I do think now when Ohio State fans think about Urban Meyer, and to me, this is even, this is like different than the Woody punch. This is different than the Trestle NCAA violations. This is even different than the Urban Zach Smith stuff. None of which were great, right? But they were all kind of, Part of your job, the, the Zach Smith stuff left less so, but like you were being the coach and you were making decisions that whatever you're trying to cover your butt or cover your team's butt or whatever. Right. But this is just all personal. And so fans and everybody associated with sports, you think, you know, people personally when you don't, we all do. And then when you see that video of Urban Meyer behaving that way on that bar stool, you just think to yourself, man, Either you think, man, that guy, I think that that guy's exactly what I thought. Or you think, man, I didn't know he was like that, right? And it's not the end of the world. It's not the worst thing a person can do, but it has an effect. It has a little bit of an effect. And, and I just think it's kind of unfortunate that for all he has accomplished as a football coach, which is why we care about him. We don't care about him based on his personality. We care about him because he wins football games. For all he's done as a football coach, he allowed that to happen. And it's just for a 57-year-old guy to do it is kind of crazy. All right. I'm sure some people turned that off. I'm sure some people found it interesting. We're done with it. We'll be on to putting Ryan Day in context on the coach Mount Buckmore. We'll be on to preparing for Ohio State, Maryland on the Friday game preview. We'll talk about Penn State, Iowa, that game a little bit. Talk a little bit about Cincinnati, I think, too, on the Friday preview. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.